Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. The Reverend Jesse Jackson has been known throughout his public life for his inspirational oratory. Leaders must be tough enough to fight, tender enough to cry, human enough to make mistakes, humble enough to admit them, strong enough to solve the pain, and resilient enough to bounce back and keep on moving. While Jackson may be best known for the speeches he's made in arenas, stadiums, and churches around the world, those speeches had never been gathered in book form until now. Keeping Hope Alive, sermons and speeches of Reverend Jesse L. Jackson Sr. collect some of the most persuasive and poignant words Jackson has delivered to an audience over his 50-plus year career as an activist and human rights advocate. We recently sat down with Reverend Jackson, along with his editor, Professor Grace Kim, to talk about the book. And Kim explains why it was so important to gather these speeches and put them in book form. Well, once I realized that there wasn't such a book, I was very excited. I thought it's so important to have this wonderful collection of his thoughts through his sermons and speeches. And as I teach it in the classroom, it's so important to have a book that you can kind of study it and and ask the students to study it. Because you can't just keep studying the radio interviews and YouTube interviews and all the other interviews that are online. So that's how it began. Reverend Jackson, what was it like for you to go back and reconsider these speeches and sermons that have been delivered around the world? Frankly, I, I didn't want to do it. Why? Because often my speeches are, are sermons are spontaneous out of situations written to be heard, not to be written. I am somebody. somebody. I am somebody. somebody. I may be poor, but I am somebody. And so this 84 and 88 speeches, many people requested them. We put those two speeches in the book. Also, when I was in South Africa, when Mandela was released from the Beauty of the Ashes, it was in India when for the 150th anniversary of Mahatma Gandhi. So Dr. Kim did a tremendous job pulling these speeches together and making, making sense of them. You were born in South Carolina. You eventually came to Chicago to study at the Chicago Theological Seminary. And that was an interesting diversion for you because you were thinking about going to law school. It was a tension between law school and seminary. And Dr. Samuel D. Wood Proctor was my president. He said, uh, the seminary is much broader than law school. I cannot imagine the seminary being broader than law school. He said that uh, you said the history and philosophy and culture and ancient civilizations, and so he convinced me to try a seminary out, and I got to seminary, and I found my voice. Uh, I was jailed in Greenville, South Carolina, with seven other classmates in 1960, trying to use a public library, and then again in Greensboro, North Carolina, I was at North Carolina A&T State University as a student, uh, and then I met Dr. King at that time, and I went to Selma in 65, and we, 
We worked together until he was killed in 1968. Where did you find the place where theology and social justice really meet? Well, really, the theology of liberation intertwined. Uh, I would say my religion makes me political, my politics don't make me religious. Jesus was born, we think of him in such lofty, mystical terms. There's the politics of Jesus, born on the death warrant, born on the occupation. Although the first one baby was killed, Mary and Joseph took him to Egypt. As an immigrant, they became a refugee. So the issues of our time, babies dying prematurely, people in occupation dying on the borders of our own country today. And if you read the book, Uh, actually, you'll see a bit of that theology and politics coming together. And you say, Professor Kim, that, you know, separating out the speeches from the sermons was Uh actually a challenge. It was, because it's very hard to separate his politics from his theology, because they're so combined together. When he speaks, he's preaching. When he's preaching, he's speaking. So that's the exciting part about the book, when we were putting it together. And as he mentioned, he was a little hesitant, because it's really difficult for such a historic figure figure who is a superb speaker and to put that down in print it does really no justice but we you know I tried my best to kind of give life on paper and I think at the end the result is is really good I'm very very happy with it some books when it's done you're not happy but this one I I know it couldn't have been better so all all the speeches are for the listening ear Mm -hmm. not for the wondering eye And so to translate a, a, a spoken word message, a sermon into a written word, is a challenge. Dr. Kim has written 18 books, so she's quite capable as a writer and author to do this work. It was kind of beyond my imagination. I'm glad we've done it because we've sold over 10,000 books already, and churches are ordering them in bulk. Amazon.com, you can get them today. Uh, and seminary students are studying them, and college students are studying them. It, it, it provides continuity to our struggle. You can't just keep up with what we've done by reading newspaper clippings. It must be in a, in a different form. It's a living historical document. You know, that's the exciting thing, that you're still with us, and you can help us read it. You know, yesterday um, we did a uh, Starbucks book signing, and even little kids were there. And that's so exciting because that's what I imagined, that children who may have never heard of an icon like Reverend Jackson can kind of sit down with their parents. And I've had parents who say they're reading one page at a time with their children. Mm-hmm. It's a history lesson. It's a theological lesson. It's a civil rights lesson. There's, there's so much in that small book. Well, yeah. speaking speaking of civil rights, when you look back at the speeches and the sermons in the book, they span a range of issues, spiritual and political, domestic, international, but much of what you were speaking about, Reverend Jackson, are issues that are still top of mind today. Poverty, uh, debt, voting rights, war, issues central to the current presidential election. timeless subjects. Dream of peace. Peace is rational and reasonable. America must never surrender to malnutrition. We can feed the hungry and clothe the naked. We must never surrender to illiteracy. Invest in our children, never surrender and go forward. We must never surrender to inequality. 
Women cannot compromise ERA of comparable worth. Women are making six to six on the dollar to what a man makes. Women cannot buy meat cheaper. Women cannot buy bread cheaper. Women cannot buy milk cheaper. Women deserve to get paid for the work that you do. Are you at all discouraged that these are issues we're still grappling with? No, what sustains me during these difficult times is my faith, my belief. It's all but that light is coming, and it's not a train coming this way of sunshine. It's hope. And I look over my life in the last 60 years. I've seen so much progress, frankly. Uh, sometimes things don't like to talk about progress. I went to jail with seven classmates trying to use a public library. It's beyond imagination now. The day Dr. King gave the speech in Washington, from Texas to Florida to Maryland, we couldn't use a single public toilet. We couldn't buy ice cream at Howard Johnson. We couldn't use a, buy a rent a hotel room at Holiday Inn. Black and Latino soldiers had to sit behind lots of people at the American military bases. We've come a long way. When I graduated from high school in Greenville, South Carolina, I couldn't apply to Clemson, University of Alabama, to play football. So I ended up going to the University of Illinois to play football in the Big Ten. But when I see Clemson play Alabama in the big game, my heart rejoices because I know to them it's not about skin color, it's about uniform color, about direction, not about complexion. Learning, we've survived apart, learning to live together is our challenge today. In a phenomenal way, we sit on the athletic arena, often more so than in the churches. These young people learn to judge each other by ability and by output. Mm-hmm. Dr. Kim, I mean, looking at this as a historical record, with so much to gather from, how did you go about the process of editing this book and saying, these are the speeches I want to make sure are, are remembered? Yeah. Well, that was a uh, difficult process, but the ones that we collected, they are kind of a global. Reverend Jackson's impact is not just in the U.S. or in Canada. I actually grew up in Canada, and as a little kid, I was watching him on TV when he was doing the um, elections in 84 and 84. 88. But he has made a global impact. So we've gathered speeches from when he spoke in India, in South Africa, in England, all around the world to give a glimpse to young students and to many older adults who remember him traveling around the world. He still does travel around the world. So that's how we kind of came up with these selections, that it was a snapshot of what he did in the country, in the U.S., and around the world. And we're just excited that we can actually provide that to the rest of the world. There's continuity in our story. I remember talking with President Barack Obama one day downtown in Chicago, and he said, I watched the campaign. I, like others, didn't believe it could happen. But when you spoke at Columbia University for a debate, Jesse Jackson, Mundell, and Gary Hart, he said, I started the debate, and I said, this can happen. A seed planted that blossomed. And in 84, I ran a, two million new voters, 400 delegates. Because some people want to take all. If I get 48, you get 49, you get all 100. That left so many people dissatisfied. So we went to want to take all to proportionality. Where you get your portion. If you get 48, you get 40% of the delegates. So by 88, I moved from 400 delegates to 1,200 delegates a $19 million campaign. Every one of these funny labels they put on you, those of you who are watching this broadcast tonight in the projects, on the corners, I understand. Call you outcast, 
low down, you can't make it, you're nothing, you're from nobody, subclass, underclass. When you see Jesse Jackson, when my name goes in nomination, your name goes in nomination. I was born in the slum, but the slum was not born in me. And it wasn't born in you, and you can make it. Wherever you are tonight, you can make it. We laid the groundwork, we laid the predicate for change and hope. So when President Barack Brock ran against Hillary in 2008, following the 84 rules, she would have been the winner because she won Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, and California. But the rule change that we were able to get through, he got his share, he got proportionality. So when I see him on the stage, the big stage, he's so capable of handling the big stage. There's something about the rule changes, and at the end of the day, all we have about rules, and when we, uh, when, when the playing field is even, the rules are public, the goals are clear, and the referees are fair, and the score is transparent, we can make it. Mm. But often we, we have about rules. I mean, after all, slavery was the rule. Well, speaking the of Jim Crow was the rule, being locked out was the rule. We had, to, we had to fight for just rules to have just results. Well, speaking of slavery, in your sermon, The Moral Center, you said, quote, the moral center is often seen as radical, radically out of step when two different parties have the same assumptions and eat from the same trough. And you use the example of slavery to highlight this point, saying that one choice is for slave masters to be kind to enslaved people because they have value. Another choice is for slave masters to treat the enslaved harshly because the enslaved are property. And then there's a third choice, the moral center, which is to abolish slavery altogether. And you, you put it so profoundly because... Those are your words. Uh, yeah. <laughs> your words uh, are logical. <laughs> the, uh, in the slavery time, good people said, treat them humanely. Uh, but kindly, but work them without pay. Mean people say, well, they're, they're, they're not people, they're, they're human, they're animals, and so they treat us in a dogged way. But that's two sides of the same coin. Liberal and conservatives are two sides of the same coin. The third rail, the moral center, and it, it is that abolished that system altogether. So pushing the limits of our system is a part of our challenge, pushing the limits of it. Professor Kim, how do you hope this book and looking at these speeches and sermons Reverend Jackson um, has has given, how it can maybe shift or help us rethink the political and social conversations we're having today at a time when the nation is so divided? Yeah, thank you for that fantastic question. I think the book is so timely. Actually, I started this 10 years ago, and I thought it will never come out. But now that it's come out during this election year, I think that's what makes it exciting because, as Reverend Jackson mentioned, we included the 84-88 speeches. That was a last-minute decision because um, the, the need, the demand was there. And so I think right now people can read it, students can read it to see where we have come, where even from the 80s, and where we are today and where we need to go. Tears run all down my eyes. I serve a mighty God. Weeping may endure for a night, but if you hold on and don't give up, joy will come in the morning from the state house to the courthouse to the White House. All the way, God saves from the othermost. Thank you and God bless you. Shout on, saints. Shout on, saints. Never doubt them. Shout on, saints. 
So earlier you mentioned about the issues that we're still fighting the same issues. Yes, we are still fighting them in in the broader sense, but we've kind of moved a little, you know, along the way. So we want to keep moving forward towards justice. The book is so insightful. Reverend Jackson, if you sit with Reverend Jackson just for like a 30-minute conversation, it's a whole history lesson. He'll just give you so many bits of wisdom. And that's what this book does. It just provides so much wisdom, so much meaning, where we have come from, where we need to go. So I hope when people read it, they'll read it several times. Students who study it will continue to study it and share it with their friends. We want young people to read it. And so yesterday at Starbucks, young millennials were there. We're very excited because we think, you know, Reverend Jackson's not young anymore, but people still know who he Mm -hmm. is and remember the impact that he has made. So this election year, Reverend Jackson's, you know, pushing the vote and trying to get young people registered. And so this is all what the book is about. Dr. King, his holiday is now in some sense abused because Speak of social service. I was with him on his last birthday. Uh, he gathered us, some Appalachian whites, some Native Americans, some Latinos, some blacks from Deep South, some Jewish allies from New York. He said, we're going to Washington. Maybe we'll go to jail and disrupt traffic to shift from a war in Vietnam to a war on poverty at home. That's both moral and political. That's theological, and it's political at the same time. And it becomes our duty. You say feed the hungry, you're challenging the agricultural system. Because today, we're looking at the need to, A, provide Pell Grants for those who cannot afford to go to college, reduce student loan debt with great credit card debt on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, Parent PLUS loans, you can borrow money for a new house, but not, uh, but not for children to go to school, as well as food stamps. Every single one of your sermons or your speeches included a call to action. What would you say that call to action is today? I said to some students the other day, when I went to jail, I was 19 years old. We had to march and go to jail just to get attention. Then we can vote in South Carolina, where I'll be working for the campaign this, this week. 57,000 high school seniors. Every high school senior is 18 that will be by November can vote this year. There are 26,000 college students in that state. They have to balance the power. There are more 18-year-olds than there are 81-year-olds. Young America really has a power. We have enfranchised them. We've empowered them in a very special way. And if they use their strength and appreciate it, in jail, if you've not been convicted, you are eligible to vote. So I went to jail not in October. And students said, why should we vote, Reverend? I said, well, you can be on the jury. Jury? Yeah. You can vote for sheriff. You can vote for attorney. You can vote for state's attorney. They had no sense they had the power to elect state's attorneys and sheriffs and legislators and mayors. It's about empowering people to believe that they can. And I said, we've learned to survive apart. We must now learn to live together. And when we live together, the Rainbow Coalition says that, I used to go to, to, go to political conventions. The Americans would be beating their drums, and they would be saying, recognize our sovereignty. Latinos would be saying, you know, uh, bilingual education, Jewish Americans, stop anti-Semitism, blacks recognize our civil rights. And around us, I said, more locked out than locked in. It's a rainbow coalition, a multiracial, multicultural coalition. And together we have the numbers to change the course. So now when you look up, Dr. King died. First, he never saw a cell phone, number one. 
Number two, when he was killed, there were two black mayors, Mayor Hatcher and Gary Randana and Mayor Stokes in, in Cleveland. Look at us today, 55 blacks in the Congress, uh, mayors of Newark and Washington and have been in New York, have been president of the United States. All these changes have taken place in a marvelous way in our lifetime, and so I've been blessed to be alone. This is runner. So I want people to buy this book because theologically we're called to, to action. We're called to power. We're called to change love, power, and justice as our, as our mission. And Dr. King, well, he was my teacher, my mentor, and I learned much of my theological views from him. Reverend Jackson, Professor Kim, thank you so much for speaking with us. Well, thank, thank you, so, you much. so much for having us. And that's today's Reset. I bet you know someone out there who'd like to hear the conversation you just heard. So hit the share button on your podcast app and turn your friend on to Reset. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. And let's talk again soon. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.